Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. Thank you for joining us today. With me today is Roman Grinishin, Roman Grinishin, who is from Ukraine. He was on our podcast exactly a year ago, and he's the director, founder, CEO of an organization called World to Rebuild Rural Ukraine. It's a very interesting organization. We talked a year ago, and we've had some good successes in the things that we're doing. So first of all, Roman, welcome. Thank you, dear Victor, and I appreciate the opportunity to be back here in this, uh, in this, uh, in a year time after we have set up this program, and uh, I can talk. Um, I'm glad that we have uh, a lot of uh, things to share that we have accomplished within the year. Right, and so I would like to have you first tell us what is WRRU. I know that our listeners listened, and it was a popular podcast a year ago because it was made a little over about two months after the war in Ukraine began. And Ukraine, of course, is a very fertile area that produces 10 to 15 times uh, the amount of food that it consumes. It's a very major, critical economic area in the world that's going through a great deal of stress right now. So Roman will be able to share with us uh, some of what's happened in the past year because they just celebrated one year's anniversary of their organization. But one thing I can say about Roman is that, first of all, we're glad that he's here in person. This is mm -hmm. not a Zoom call. This is in person right here in our living room or in a dining room here where I've set up a little studio here. And, and we hope to make this podcast. So, Roman, I think it'd be best if you could just give us a quick overview of who you are, your role, and what your mission is. Uh, so, of course, I would love to do that. Uh, World to Rebuild Rural Ukraine is the program that uh, we came up when we uh, found ourselves in the safe place in Germany. And that's when we started to think, how can we help to the others? Because we were blessed to be able to leave the dangerous location and we live within 10 miles from Irpin and 15 miles from Bucha. So God knows what would happen if we uh, stayed there for the March, uh, February, March period. Uh, <clears throat> and when we were in Germany, the um, uh, German uh, farmer who hosted us, his daughter approached us and proposed to pass the uh, amount of money to help the people who left were left behind in Ukraine in these uh, areas that suffered very much from Russian aggression. So trying to give the money to those in need, in most need, because everybody were in need at that time, we uh, identified the new stratum of the Ukrainian rural society who were left by themselves. Those are the small family farms uh, who are not able to fix their houses quickly because they do not have any um, uh, accumulated budget uh, that they could have uh, just redirected for the fixing of their roof or the walls or the windows. <clears throat> and that's why uh, they just lived in uh, in the basements or in the uh, train cars next to their houses. And uh, we understood that these people will be the last in row to get the help from the government. And, and so... Just a quick summary, you're working with the people who are in the rural areas to provide support for them, the Ukrainian farmers. 
Yes, first of all, uh, we, uh, before the war, we had been uh, involved in agricultural business. Uh, in, uh, in particular, we were inviting the experts to Ukrainian farmers to help them produce. And we've been in touch with Ukrainian farmers uh, for years, for actually more than a decade. So having these connections, we just utilize them to help the smallest of their uh, type of people uh, producing the food for their families and something to sell. So the small family farms are have become the focus of our program because they are not just only people who needed help, they are also the producers who with their food produce others. Well, that's the whole thing is that uh, Ukraine is producing food for so much of the rest of the world. Uh, so much of the Middle East and Africa and Europe is dependent on Ukrainian agricultural products. And so even in this war, the Russians grudgingly were able to get some of the grain out to uh, these countries because it would have been starvation for them. Yes, very rightly said. Ukraine produces food from the protein standpoint. This is if we calculate the amount of protein necessary for the human for one day and amount of protein uh, compare it to the protein that is produced in on Ukrainian soil. The calculation goes to 600 million people. That's uh, right now when our agriculture is still to be developed and can be more efficient. And that was our role before the war. Therefore, we can say that with a little bit of diet, Ukraine can feed two of the countries of the United States of America. Amazing. That, that, is, that is really, really amazing. Of course, we always have heard in, throughout history class that Ukraine was a breadbasket of Europe, but didn't realize exactly what that meant. Uh, even in ancient times, produce yeah. from Ukraine was shipped you know, through it's amazing that through the shipping lanes of the Black Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, Ukraine has been able to very successfully ship agricultural products to so much of the civilized populated world. That's right. And uh, Dr. Timothy Snyder, uh, who is an expert, American uh, expert in Ukrainian history and Eastern European history, he can speak a lot about the role of Ukraine for the development of the uh, and communication between East and West and North and South. So we are actually both blessed and uh, uh, we have been uh, maybe cursed by by God, so to say, of being such a nourishing and successful and uh, um, lucky country to have this location. And therefore, that's why actually the other countries like Russia have always, and this is not the first time, unfortunately, have always tried to capture us because mm -hmm. of their uh, fossil fuels because of the land, because of the location, because of the river, because of the even of the people. The people we are, and I think that the world knows right now, we are capable of uh, twisting the things that are used for one purpose into another, totally another, and being successful with that. So making up things is what we can do very well too. I mean, I, not from the idea standpoint of view, but from the engineering standpoint mm -hmm. of view. Though the Ukrainian people have been a very, very successful people, very capable people. 
I, I have grown up as a Ukrainian. I'm a full-blooded Ukrainian. My mother was from Kharkiv, and my father was from Volyn province in western Ukraine. And I know that uh, I was taught Ukrainian in school. We had a special school that we had set up on Saturdays, which talked about Ukrainian history. It taught us how to write Cyrillic. And it was actually a, quite a patriotic class. But the history was very interesting to me because Ukraine was always an area that was vulnerable. With all its great wealth, it was vulnerable to attacks from the East, as it's been overrun lately in World War II by the Germans, and then the Soviets, and now with, with Russia. And also from the East, when the first Kiev in Rus was set up in about 1000 AD or so, even before that, that mm -hmm. hordes came from the East, and Ukraine was under Asiatic control. And then it was under Moskali, the, the Moscow mm -hmm. kingdom to the north. So Ukraine has always been in that particular. And now we have another generation. We've got you, we've got me, and we're trying to cope with history, all the challenges that we have. By the way, I'm also from Volyn region. This is the northwest part of Ukraine. Uh, indeed, we are very patriotic and we have always been. As Dr. Timothy Snyder said, that Dnieper River divided the barbarian east and the civilized west. And mm -hmm. it is still the same way. And this barbarian east right now is the Russia that is yes. attacking the and going not only against Ukraine, but against the whole rule of the law in the west, the democracy and the civilized world. Therefore, there is no other way but to win this war and as soon as possible. Can you tell us a little bit about your feelings about the war? Today is May 1st. The war began February 24th, a year ago. I know it's been very painful for all of us. It's painful for me every day. You know, I almost hate to see the news. And today, you know, there were more rocket attacks against Ukrainians, and even in the city of Chernihiv. I talked to the, our director uh, at a rehabilitation center in Chernihiv today, and after our talk, there was a rocket attack to Chernihiv, and a child was killed. This is a very real reality. Indeed so, and um, I, I remember that day, 24th of February, very well, and uh, no words can share the feelings that we were coming through then because it it really felt like all your life is being ruined in in a couple of days and uh, of course with that enemy like russia hardly anyone believed that we would stand uh, through however uh, so we left then we returned in september back home and our host in germany he said that we he didn't say it literally but he meant that you probably are crazy Coming back to Ukraine with all these missiles, air raid attacks still in act action and the war is still active and you are going back from the safe Germany back to home. However, we never felt sorry for our decision. We returned back to Ukraine and we learned to live with that. It is at the same time scary but also inspiring because if you think of the threat that might be coming from the sky, it makes you shiver, but we just check the news. We hear the alarm, the sirens. We check the news. Okay, no missiles in the air territory of Ukraine. We still can sleep and then we'll wake up in half an hour and we'll check again. Mm -hmm. So it's like when you are driving, you're learning to drive the car, being a teenager. The first time you get to the road, it is extremely scary. 
but then life goes on you become a driver of the bus 10 years after that you wake up in the morning sit in the bus and you do everything automatically you do not feel any scaredness the same with us after mm. the year of these uh, air attacks and they are still as dangerous as they used to be then because for example when i left ukraine for this trip it was four days ago on that very first day that i crossed the border at 3 a.m my wife is writing me i was still driving in europe towards munich my wife is writing me the uh, russians uh, have started the air raid attack again and she says i have uh, been uh, woken up by the explosion over our roof because we live in the suburbs of uh, kiev 10 miles from uh, irpin and all the attack of course is uh, uh, targeting kiev all the missiles and they're intercepted by these uh, anti-missile systems over our roof mm -hmm. so she said it exploded just somewhere close and she she ran into the bathroom where kids were sleeping mm -hmm. so it it is still scary but but we we, we learned how to live with that well even uh, my nephew he's attending college in Viv. they've kind of gotten that way too they've gotten used to, used to it but they still have had to go into the fallout not the fallout shelter they have had to go into the bunkers Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a couple of different times, and uh, especially in the winter time. For some reason, in the winter time, they had uh, more times they had to go. In the winter time, there was still more uh, missiles that Russia uh, hold uh, held, and um, every rare air raid attack uh, ended up with a couple of dozens of missiles, up to a hundred. Now uh, their storage is almost empty, so we are lucky to hear these air raid attacks much less time. And uh, come back to the fact that we live a normal life. For example, if you, of course, uh, everybody wants to have a rest sometime and go to the movies or go to the restaurant. So all of these institutions have their regulations what to do in the air raid attack. They have the nearest shelter that has been fixed and that is expected to host all these people once the air raid attack starts. And they have the regulation, for example, 12 minutes, uh, 20 minutes, it is on, then uh, uh, the uh, movie session will not uh, repeat, it, mm -hmm. it will be cancelled. If it is less, then they can proceed, just pause it and proceed. And everybody lives uh, uh, the life tries to live the same life as it was before the war. Unfortunately, these missiles, sometimes they hit the target. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the very bad one was in January in uh, Dnipro, in the city of Dnipro, where uh, 20 people were killed in one apartment building. That was very and sad. And even these mm -hmm. four days ago in Oman, 22 people, including oh. five children. Oh. That is, mm -hmm. that is the most... Devastating. <sighs> Devastating, right. Mm. Thank you for the for mm. helping because when you think of the new generation that is definitely not guilty of anything against this terroristic mm. country, but for some reason after it happens, and we Ukrainian speaking people, we can read and we can understand the news and these intercepted phone calls between the Russian soldiers and their mothers, their wives, and we hear all that hatred, all that uh, saluting of hitting the civil multi-story building and killing 23 people they the uh, regular 
Russians, they are happy about that and they claim that every killed Ukrainian child is for the good of Russia. Mm -hmm. This is what they say and this is what we keep hearing every day on the news. How can the neighbor, how can the people who used to call us brothers be so much hateful to us right now? Well, I, I have, it's just been so incomprehensible to me because when I started working in with Russians, it goes back to my first visit to the Soviet Union in 1967, which was the 50th anniversary of the Great Revolution, <laughs> of the Revolution, mm -hmm. and then through the Cold War period. And then in 1991, we thought that we had, had come to a new belief, a new way of working together. And we began to work with Russian entities and even did humanitarian work and did work with Radio Leningrad at that time and Radio St. Petersburg and had very, very good friends. And we thought, it's over. People are friends again, just like Americans. You know, Americans, I, I like people from Indiana. I like people from California. You know, I mean, I have nothing against them. And, and with, with the Russians, they just turn to this hatred where it feeds on itself. And as you said today, they don't even know what they're hateful of. There may have been hate in some reasons at the beginning, but that's all forgotten. And it's just hatred, hatred, hatred. It's built upon revenge, revenge, revenge. And it's escalating to some very, very dangerous points. But anyway, Roman, I'd like you to, uh, let's get back to WRRU and some of your needs, because you have come to LifeNets through a mm -hmm. mutual friend, Neil Kinsey, to uh, help bring awareness to some of the things that you have in Ukraine. First of all, you've come here in person. You've been able to talk to various groups. We're, we, we speak your language, and we're trying to do what, what we can. Uh, after a year, what do you foresee, and how do you plan to proceed in this next year? And maybe tell us, maybe I'll ask this a little bit later, but just what is needed. So, first of all, our program is about rebuilding the three main things for these people. First of all, this is the house, and many of them have lost and are still losing the houses uh, because of these air raid attacks, because of the artillery. Uh, secondly, the ability for them to keep the production of agricultural commodities, because the statistics says that about 60% of the dairy products, of the animal products actually, come from these small family farms. Up to 90%, you can imagine, is of potatoes is produced in these small family farms. So they are very important. They, in general, farm about one-third of Ukrainian farmland, which is the total area in Ukraine that is under production, that actually was under production before the war, is 70 uh, million acres, which is 28 million hectares. Mm -hmm. So third of it is farmed by the small entities like family farms. And uh, uh, as I mentioned, they do not have the budget to rebuild and to reinvest into the it destroyed premises or equipment or even animals because for example the second aid recipient who we started working with her all the chicken and all the uh, swine died in the barn where the rocket uh, landed mm. so uh, this is our main goal to first of all help them uh, as much as it is possible under the circumstances return to the normal life and uh, return to the production 
Secondly, uh, we also are doing the uh, bi-weekly update on what is really going on in the villages in the rural areas of Ukraine. Because if you watch, if you follow the news, you can hardly hear about the peasant Ivan or uh, the uh, the farmer who, uh, from uh, in the, from the suburbs of Chernihiv or uh, Kherson. You will hear about the military. You will hear about the economy. You will hear about the Russians. But nobody talks about these poor people who are the majority of those who suffered. Of course, military are the forefronters who get hurt most of all. But after them, the civil people in the peaceful villages through which Russian equipment, Russian tanks were coming through, they got the first attack and the first uh, interaction with Russian aggressor. Therefore, we are trying to tell, to share their feelings with the rest of the world, to share their culture, their style of life. Because, for example, I don't know if you knew, but every second uh, village citizen in Ukraine has a plot with potato, about a couple of dozen chickens, a few cows, and maybe even a horse. This is a normal thing. It's just as normal as for the, uh, let's say, Midwest uh, village uh, citizen to have a pickup. This, mm-hmm. this, 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 is, this is what they live from. This is mm-hmm. what they do every day. This is their job and their style, lifestyle. So they are left alone. And at times when, for example, our project coordinator went to the areas that uh, were north of Kiev in April last year, he saw the people living in the basement where their houses were destroyed to just the chimney. Yeah, uh-huh. ju- just the uh, oven and the chimney stood. All the walls were destroyed and the person lived in the basement because there was no nowhere for him to go. Therefore, this is our goal. And within this year, we are glad to report that we were able to raise $55,000 with the help of LifeNets and people throughout the world because the donations were coming from the United States, from Canada, Great Britain, Europe. So thank you very much, everyone who participated in this effort. We still have 10000 left, but for the 45000 we managed to build two houses for more than 80 square meters. I do not know how it converts into uh, square feet, but it is the house that is good for a family of four people. About a thousand square feet. That's reasonable. Something something like that. Uh, That was the two houses. Also, uh, we helped one farmer to get the tractor. Of course, these are only three families, but this is a very substantial help. This is the help that... uh, they will be waiting for years, if not decades, from the government, which is having uh, another priorities right now. And this is not the business that will bring back return on investments uh, to the investors. These are just the people who have been building these houses with their own hands uh, all their life, who have been raising these uh, commodities and uh, storing and then selling them to earn money for this small cultivator or tractor. So for them, it will be another life to rebuild. And we are trying to accelerate this process as much as possible. My vision for the future, we will have a lot of work. It's just thousands 
uh, if not even hundreds of thousands of the rural, I'm speaking just about the rural, excluding the city houses, of the rural houses, uh, households that have been destroyed and need this help. This is, such, this is such a shame to us to see this kind of thing happen. In the first months of the war, the Russians brought on a trillion dollars worth of infrastructure damage. This is all the bridges, roads, plants, all this infrastructure that has to be replaced. They're not going to do anything to fix it. They just are destroyers. They've spent billions of dollars to destroy it. Yeah. And they're still spending about a billion of dollars per month for this war. Uh, to me, Putin and his... Uh, um, all his friends and all, all the power in Russia are the biggest losers in the world because with their resources, with their extremely vast lands and uh, with all the knowledge that they had, they could have been the biggest humanitarian uh, developers worldwide. They could have created the way how to get water to the, the deserts, how to feed the people in Africa who they claim to be helping, to have been helping so many years. But in fact, nothing was done there except taking away from those people. Mm. So this money and this all power is directed into a totally opposite direction not helping, but causing troubles to the world and to the people. Why? And maybe you could just comment a little bit. Another force has come in, and that is China. Very, very interesting to us because China and the people of the East have always been a nemesis to Russia. They dominated them for 400 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, one reading that I had... Uh, one, one book that I read maybe 20 years ago mentioned uh, that uh, the ultimate fear that Russia has is of China because China has five times as many people as Russia. Its economy is equal to that of the United States. Russia's is nothing. Russia is, they say, a third world country with a bomb. <laughs> you know, they, they are a destructive force. Have you noticed anything that really affects what you might be doing or how you observe things by the inclusion of China, including China's offer to help talk about some peace negotiation. I'm not a political, uh, ex uh, not, not the expert in uh, world uh, political relationship, but from what I've been seeing and hearing, Russia at the beginning was pro, uh, sorry, China was pro-Russian, was kind of like supporting. Then they uh, took the neutral position to overlook what was happening. And there was no way they could have stayed in this position until the end of the war. And it seems like they have made the choice, which is, as is usual for China, which is very practical and very... Uh, uh, directed towards the interest of China because United States and partially China those are the uh, world countries those are the countries that do not depend upon somebody else's point of view they are trying to build and to protect their own interests their own mm -hmm. country's interests therefore Russia like you very rightly said is just a subordinate to China country and we know that uh, uh, there is a problem with al alcoholism in Russia and there is a problem of too many 
men in China. And that problem attached to those two problems detached to each other end up of a lot of Chinese men getting married in Russia with Russian women. And uh, soon China will be following the example of Russia, will be just able to claim we, ca we are coming to your territory to protect our men, Chinese men. Is that happening now? Very much. Really? A lot of territories have been inhabited with Chinese people in Russia. And if you do the uh, uh, poll, the, if you calculate the uh, population, you will see that mostly those are the Chinese living in, in these neighborhood areas to uh, Russian neighborhood areas to China. And nobody speaks about that. They care more about Ukraine rather than their own internal problems. Mm -hmm. So I see that China is really a very uh, powerful player here, but they will not interfere. And they uh, are looking as, as the majority of the world for the quick uh, solution, resolution of this war. And of course, they understand that they cannot live without United States of America and Europe. This is the main market for them. For the Chinese. For the Chinese, yes. Mm -hmm. So Russia can give them the uh, uh, fossil fuels, the oil, uh, but there are other ways how to force Russia share with, with them. <laughs> but there is no other market like Europe, like the West for them. Mm -hmm. That's why they are making a very wise decision. I think this is... This is really a game-changing situation when uh, Xi Jinping, president of China, called Zelensky. Because if that is even proven by the fact that Russian journalists are so much angry to him. And you, we again, we, we hear all their programs, we hear their narratives. So they started to say... How dare you, China? You are our friend. How dare you speak with this clown Zelensky? But this is the fact. He spoke and they had even the agreement of creating some kind of the inter uh, between the countries uh, institution that would be coordinating uh, the, their involvement in ending this war. So we'll see. <clears throat> we'll see what happens. Hopefully it'll go in favor of Ukraine. In fact, with Ukraine, all I'm asking God, is leave us alone. <laughs> Just let us let us live by ourselves. Our life. Let us live our life. Just go away. <laughs> yes, Ukraine does not want anything Russia has. In fact, they deplore what Russia has. Nobody in the world wants what Russia has. And they keep saying that every country in the world is envious to Russia. Okay, keep thinking that. Just live in your house without the toilet and electricity in the village and i'm saying that because when they came to kiev uh, villages to kiev oblast villages they could not believe that those are villages they said how come a village can have the asphalted road and water tap water inside the house with electricity so we are not interested in their lifestyle mm -hmm. and i would like to add here that yes ukraine has been the top news over this year but it's not only about ukraine we are just the ones who have faced first this aggression and these uh, um, terrible things and uh, this uh, in this war we are fighting for the 
values of the uh, Western world, which are the law, the democracy, and uh, uh, civilization. By mm -hmm. saying civilization, I do not mean just using the cell phones or internet. Civilized relationship be between people, respect towards the nations, towards their cultures, and do not uh, uh, come to the other people's home with weapon, uh, claiming that they came to protect. Yeah, that's kulturny. <laughs> this is uh, this is just nonsense that only uh, Russian propaganda can speak about. Mm -hmm. So, tell me about your family and just about the state of mind living in Kiev. You know, you live just ten miles north of the very heart of the city, and how you look to your children's future, how you look to your wife and children in the future, and how do you cope with it? How do you dream of the future? Right now, I'm more certain that everything will be in favor of uh, the peaceful life in Ukraine and in Europe. And the only thing is uh, how long it will still last until the victory. So I do not doubt that, that the victory will come. I'm a multiple children father. I have three kids. Uh, I'm blessed with uh, a daughter and two sons. And if a year ago I was very much worried about their future, right now I can say that they have a chance to live a better life than us. I've come from Western Ukraine, which is at majority Ukrainian speaking to the Kyiv, uh, to the Russian speaking communi community in two, uh, 2000. Uh, the year of 2000, and um, I've never felt that Russian language at any point was suppressed, just vice versa. I was uh, mocked uh, about my Ukrainian language, and there truly was the perception that if you want to succeed in business, you should speak Russian in mm -hmm. Kiev. I never did that, but I was very friendly with all the Russian-speaking colleagues at work, university students and uh, teachers, uh, neighbors in the uh, hostel where I lived. So I never had problems. And all the f what Russian propaganda has been uh, dwelling upon that Russian-speaking people are suppressed, that is very much a lie. However, right now, <clears throat> again, proving the fact that Russian leader is the biggest loser in the world, he has achieved the opposite. Ukrainian people who have been quite pro-Russian in terms of speaking Russian language and doing business with Russia, right now tend to cut short from anything that, Russia, that is Russian. You would uh, see uh, people shifting to Ukrainian language who before that said that for them it is not possible, they've spoken Russian all their life, they cannot do that. Mm -hmm. Now they are doing it in, and they are volunteering to do it. Nobody is mm -hmm. forcing them. You will not see any Russian song on the radio, although I do not know of any law that would forbid Russian music. All the Ukrainian artists, uh, all the Ukrainian official people who would speak Russian from time to time right now have shifted to Ukrainian. That's they, very interesting. That's very, very interesting. And um, the music. Uh, we've always been uh, secondary to Russian culture. 
unfortunately. Although the fact from the history is that there was Kyiv Mohila Academy in Kyiv, where the Russian people uh, graduated from. They went to St. Petersburg and set up their academies and universities in St. Petersburg. But then in the uh, uh, sorry, 20th uh, century, Russians came and in Ukraine destroyed all the intelligent people at different uh, times, therefore ending up that the science and the intelligence capital became in Moscow and St. Petersburg, but not in Kiev. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've been <clears throat> subordinate in the culture from the cultural standpoint because uh, the movies would come first, uh, would would be uh, made first in Moscow. Then Kiev started uh, its own uh, studio. Uh, music the same, all all sorts of activities like dancing and so on. So now we try to shut down everything that is coming from Russia on a volunteer basis. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that we can do much more without them. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an aversion because if they're hurting us the way they are, no matter how nice you're trying to be, stop hurting me. <laughs> Please go go away. Anyway, thank you very much for that. I might add here to our audience that Roman came with his wife and three children last last year when he was here. That was very, very lovely time. You know, he brought his family here. And that's where we first met. I never thought I'd see him again. Indeed. And I'm uh, very thankful to all the ambassadors uh, of our program uh, who helped us uh, to spread the word about this program. Me and my family, we have stayed 100 days in the United States of America, traveling from Seattle to Key West, speaking to various groups of people about Ukraine, about its economy, the people, and what is really going on in our country right now without any adjustments from the TV channels. We spoke as it is right now uh, in in reality. And to me, that was probably the 40th travel to the US, but it was a totally new impression because we learned that Americans are not only good businessmen and good speakers and artists, you are a very kind, humane. You you have the uh, heart that can sympathize much more than maybe anyone could have thought of. It's just you do not boast with that. You do. So thank you for your actions. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And some final words. Tell us uh, what we can do for you, what you would like, and tell us about some contact information. I'll include contact information on the notes with this podcast. But just tell us about uh, where to get more information and for those who would like to know more. So we have a website uh, that stands for the acronym of the World to Rebuild Royal Ukraine. So it is wrru.org. All the information is there. We are looking for the, any opportunity to speak, to present, and to communicate with groups of people who can help. And the help is, of course, the monetary involvement, donations towards the needs of rebuilding. And any, all the pennies that are sent to LifeNets before distributed before uh, between the aid recipients will be approved by the ambassadors. So we have the ambassadors, the reputable people throughout the world 
And that's uh, your board, so to speak? Yes, board uh, of ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And Neil Kinsey is also one of the ambassadors. I might mention, too, that uh, our connection has been through Neil Kinsey, right. who I have known for 40 years. And uh, he's the one who brought us to Roma. Yes, he's been to Ukraine a number of times. I was coordinating his uh, travels and his work in Ukraine. And uh, it just happened that now we <clears throat> needed to communicate on this side of the Atlantics. But uh, it was a very productive cooperation. And Neil played also a very, very important role, uh, both in helping set up their connections and in uh, direct dona- donations. So any pending before it's made, it must be approved by the ambassadors. So um, we we are trying to be as as uh, uh, transparent as possible, and um, anyone can become an ambassador, having involved having been involved into the program and having helped us to spread the word about what we do. That's the most important. And um, with with the result of the first year, I see that uh, we will be growing, and unfortunately or fortunately that will only the future decide we will have a lot of work to do okay well thank you very much is there anything else you'd like to say just thank you mm-hmm. and god bless all the allies of ukraine and of the common sense uh, in this in this fight for the for the light thank you so much roman we have been speaking with roman grinishin roman grinishin that's in russian grinishin in ukrainian the way that you pronounce the name. And we have just really appreciated our friendship. We've done a lot of communication. And this visit by him kind of came as a little bit of a surprise. Thankful that he was able to come by here and speak to us and stay with us. And hopefully tomorrow we are going to the Rotary Club, my Rotary Club, and hopefully he could have a few words with them. So thank you very much for coming. Thank you, Victor, for everything you are doing. These days we cannot plan any further than a week. That's why all my travels is a surprise even for me. (laughs) Okay, thank you very much. We thank you, our listeners, for joining us here today for The Cubic Report. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Podbean, which includes information about this podcast, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, Pocketcaster, and other podcasting platforms. You can easily find us on any browser address bar by simply typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your impressions and suggestions. So write to us at thecubic at gmail.com, v-k-u-b-i-k at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.